powered by the number one REMAX real estate company in the world, Gold Nation. The Juggernaut Podcast is dedicated to helping real estate professionals and beyond become an unstoppable force, a juggernaut. We believe when the real estate professional thrives, everybody wins. Release the third Wednesday of every month. Each episode will leave you inspired, energized, and ready to be unstoppable. Want to learn more about the Juggernaut Podcast? Go to www.juggernautpodcast.com. Here's your hosts, Stephanie Flood and Anthony James. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Juggernaut Podcast. My name is Stephanie Flood and I'm here with my co-host, Anthony James. Hey, Gold Nation. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Bernadette. How are you today? I'm great and delighted to be here. Thank you. Excellent. And that is our very special guest today, Bernadette Augustine. Bernadette, as you might have guessed, there is originally from Ireland. She's been with Remax Gold Nation now for seven years, licensed for 20 years, and runs the number eight team in all of Gold Nation based on commission volume. So we are very excited to get to talk to Bernadette today. She has some fantastic stories to tell us, and we're all going to have a great time here together. So to get us started, Bernadette, of course, we know you as a team leader in the Sierra Oaks office, but I would love it if you could share a little bit about your background to get us started. Uh, well, first of all, I grew up in Dublin, Ireland. I'm one of eight children. My mom had was brave enough to have eight children in 16 years. And uh, very fortunate, we had um, a great education. I went to college, became a PE teacher. And uh, Ireland at that time was tough. It, it was quite depressed, really, economically. And I had come to America as a student um, because that was like a gift when you were a student to come to America and work and you had enough pocket money for most of the year. So uh, I always loved America and thought one day I might end up, end up in America. So uh, once I taught school in Ireland for one year, my friend and I decided madly that we would go to America and hitchhike, hitchhike through North and South America. So that was, we decided that Ireland wasn't as adventurous as we would like it to be at the time and thought we would head, head to America and that's what we did. Did you go to school with Brian Buffini? I did not go to school with Brian Buffini. I would love to have known him though. <laughs> but we did grow, we did grow up in the same, in the same city. He's, he's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. I went to a very small little college, uh, PE college. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was very lovely, great times, but I felt that there was something else for me. I felt lonely. It felt like there weren't as many opportunities and, and I wasn't great about being a rule follower at the time either. So, <laughs> <laughs> so one of eight children, is that, yes, is that correct? correct? Okay. Yes. So, um, how lonely eight children, that sounds like pure <laughs> chaos inside of the household. Can you just, before we kind of get into some of the uh -huh. questions specifically, I know you have some great stories to share with our audience today. Um, I want to hear a story about a day in the life of your family with eight kids in Dublin, Ireland. So what comes to mind? Uh, well, one, when we were, there were, I don't even remember how many kids there were at the time, but we were heading on our holiday and we had a Morris Minor. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Morris Minor. It is the same size as a VW Bug. <laughs> and my father had built a crib that you would put on the back of the front seat to put the baby in. 
and it was squ- <laughs> it had very s- severe square edges, and there'd be three children in the back. And then the baby, and we used to bounce the baby with our knees because <laughs> it was annoying. And then my mother would be sitting in the front with another one, no seat belts, suitcases on top. And we'd complain the minute we left, you know, are we there yet? And uh, my poor parents, I don't know how they didn't throw half of us out the window. Oh, my goodness. But it, it was chaotic, but that, that was life then. And, you know, parents were very focused on, my father was a principal of a uh, vocational school, super hardworking. So all of the children had to help out all the time. We didn't have dishwashers. We didn't have, we had a washing machine, but we didn't have a dryer. So even in the winter, I used to wonder why we put our clothes out on the line and you'd look at them the next morning and they were frozen. <laughs> and then somebody would say, well, the wind will come up and, you know, it'll help dry them a little bit and you'll bring them in. And we had one bathroom in the house. So it was exciting. Yeah. And we were very fortunate. Exciting and chaotic all at the same yes, time, I'm exactly, sure. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, so, and you had to share. Yeah. So I want to kind of hear, you know, what went into the decision making process. At what point in your life, in your family life, how old were you when you ultimately decided, you know what, it's time for me to spread my wings. I'm going to go check out this place called America. And uh, I know you've got some great stories to share, but what went into that decision? And then, you know, what helped you stick to that? Because leaving your family and coming to America where, I don't know. I mean, did you know anybody out here? Like, what was that like for you to transition to America and uh, kind of start all over with your family back in Ireland? Well, I think actually it it was something that I didn't make a decision one day. I think it was a process. I would come to America as a student uh, because my father expected us to work and make pocket money during the summer because putting kids through college wasn't inexpensive. So I loved my time in America. I felt I belonged. I felt immediately that there was a sense of freedom. There were opportunities that I didn't have at that time in Ireland. They're there now, thankfully, and I think it's so amazing and wonderful. But there was a loneliness for me that I felt, and I'd grown up in a very strict school system, and I wasn't your normal student. All of my family were straight-A students, and I was the one who barely barely got through and I'm sure I, I think I was mentioning to Stephanie another time, I'm sure I have lots of learning issues, but you, there was no diagnosis for them then. So if you had dyslexia or you had a learning difference, you just, you know, you went to school and you tried to make the grade. And I always felt that was a big struggle. So I always felt a little less than, and I remember in school being told that I'd never amount to anything. And, and I kept thinking at the back of my head, but I think I'll, I don't think I'll be nobody. And I think, Coming to America as a student and seeing just the joy and the freedom and the opportunities was huge. So when I taught school in Ireland for one year, um, I realized very quickly that I loved the students, but I didn't love the system. And uh, I think it was mutual. So mm. I was young and I was bold and I, you know, I, I, I wanted to break out of that kind of mold. So I had a friend who we said, look, we've both been to America. Why don't we just leave for a year and see where it takes us? And that took us to arriving in New York. We knew a family there and they kept us for a while. We uh, had waitressing jobs. We couldn't even afford uh, two pairs of shoes. So she'd do the early shift and I'd do the late shift. And we used to switch uh, and we'd, all, we'd always try and get as many tips as we could. And then I'd switch into her shoes and I'd do my shift. And when we had enough money, we hitchhiked down the East Coast and eventually ended up in South America. Okay, so I, w- I want to make sure that you all heard that someone told her when she was going to school as a child that she would never amount to anything. 
And so let's go back to the beginning as the number eight team leader for Gold Nation. So whoever said that, I, I dare say they were really, really wrong. And I love that that you have definitely overcome that and being told stuff like that as a child to be told that. That's hard to take. It, it is, however... That was not uncommon in those days, I think, in Ireland. And it, and I wouldn't look back at it and say it was horrific because it was a stricter, much stricter school system at the time. And uh, that was common. People wanted their children to do better. So the school systems were very, very different. And I think we've gone the other, we, we've gone to the other extreme now. You get a medal for getting out of bed and brushing your teeth. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's equally bad um and i think for me there was uh, i loved to talk and i remember i will clearly remember my mother at the kitchen sink and her rings would hit against the aluminum sink and she would say bernadette you could talk for a week on the fall of a handkerchief and i remember being disgusted thinking my mother is so mean and a few years later when i was in america in la i decided i was going to be a broadcaster and I went for an interview and they said, yes, we'd love to have you. You have a lovely voice and the, it'll cost you $2,000 to go through the training. I didn't have it. And um, I was so disappointed because I realized my mother was right. I love to talk. I would love to have done interviews. And yes, I can talk for a week on the fall of a handkerchief. <laughs> so um, that bode very well when I got to South America and I ran out of money and became a tour guide. Okay, so... I, I, you know, I can't let that one go. <laughs> so South America as a tour guide, I think we need to hear a little bit more about how that went and what you did there. Well, we, of course, when you're hitchhiking and you ha don't have a lot of funds, my girlfriend who didn't know how to type ended up uh, being a, an imaginary assistant, I would call it to uh, a lovely Englishman who needed somebody to type and she got some job for very little money. And I thought, well, I'd become a tour guide. So, um, I went to the company and uh, I don't know how I passed the training because I think I've mentioned before, I have no, I have, I totally transpose numbers and I thought, okay, I have to teach the history of Brazil and um, I passed and I realized immediately the first day on the tour bus, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to get all this straight. And I realized very quickly, some people were falling asleep. Some people were dying to get out of the unair conditioned bus. And I thought, I think they just want to be made happy. So I, and, and people were very shocked to find an Irish girl in Rio de Janeiro doing tours. So that was to my advantage. And most of the people on the tour bus were executives from uh, Chevrolet and they were there with their Texas hats. And, you know, I was just as shocked to find them as they found me. But I realized that I loved entertaining them. And although I didn't have the history always right, and I didn't know all the flowers in the botanical gardens. I could still, I could still make them happy. And sometimes I cut the tour short. I did get in trouble for that because I thought they wanted to get back to the bar in the hotel because <laughs> they were exhausted and they didn't need to hear me talking anymore. They didn't care. They were, they were just delighted to be there. And I think we forget that sometimes that, again, it's like knowing your stuff and also being of service and being and, and entertaining them. And I loved it. I, it was a great time in my life. So I want to go now to, you know, 2001. 
I think it was June of 2001, and you decided, I'm going to check out this real estate thing. This might be a good fit. And certainly you have all of these great life experiences that bring you to this point of deciding, I'm going to, I'm going to check out real estate. So kind of share with the audience, you know, how you found real estate and, you know, what your mindset going into this new career you know, was going to be for you and how you were going to approach the business. I've heard you say a lot of uh, great things around, you know, making it fun for people, you know, giving the experience back to uh, the folks that you were serving, having, making sure that people are happy, right? So you have all these life experiences and kind of your approach to being around people and serving people. And then you find yourself in real estate. So why don't you share a little bit about that decision and, and getting started? Uh, that decision was made actually very easily. Uh, when I was in uh, Silicon Valley and uh, running a corporate travel agency for two gentlemen who thankfully told me I was a jack of all trades and a master of none and asked me where I'd like to be in five years and I said driving a jag. <laughs> and in five years I was the president of the company and I was driving a jag. And in Silicon Valley, the only thing bigger than people's paychecks were their egos. Mm. And I knew from my tour guide days that if I could not give them the highest level of service, I would be eaten alive in Silicon Valley. That was all I had above my competition. Needless to say, when I started the company, I had no experience, but I was willing to do whatever it took. I, uh, I would meet with people uh, from small little companies around where we had opened up the travel agency with no equipment, by the way. I used to run to the airport to get their tickets. They didn't know that, uh, but I knew that that was my biggest ticket, was to be able to identify with them. And it didn't matter that they uh, were super demanding. I could, I could match whatever the demands were emotionally for them. And I realized very quickly that I had to have in place um, other people who would help me. And those would be the airline executives. So that when I got a phone call from Chicago for, from an executive who was stuck in a snowstorm, and needed to yell at somebody, and it was me, I could do something to make it better. I couldn't get him out of there quicker, but maybe I could have a limo pick him up. Maybe I could send flowers to his wife. Maybe I could do whatever it took. So I invested an awful lot of my time, energy, and resources to make the experience great. So I did that for 15 years, and then our beautiful son arrived, and my husband was consulting in, in Sacramento, and I wanted to get into something where I could have a flexible schedule for our son. I stayed home for the first five years, was very grateful, and then went to school at night at, to American River College and got my license. But I would go to open houses all the time, and I would watch how those agents were, and I thought, I can do this, I can do this. And I wasn't always greeted very well and I was told oh you're just a lucky Lou oh you just live in the neighborhood and I'm thinking interesting yeah it's like again going to that restaurant for a great meal but you're not greeted well so the meal doesn't mean anything to me so that was a that was natural for me and I've never looked back I totally loved it yeah, I think it I think it's worked out okay so when <laughs> we we look at your team and you have this very strong group of powerful women that all work together. I love the photos that you all post. I love the marketing that you have, the way that it's set up. The pictures are really great and they show the relationships that you have within that team. It's very clear that you all are close. Um, but I want to hear about your philosophy a little bit about maybe empowering strong women 
and how you've come to this place to be supporting them and inviting them into the team? Uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that I may, that I do is I am one of them. We are all together. It's not about me and my team. It's about us. We're very collaborative, very strong, intentional women. I think what we have is incredible respect for each other. We don't always agree. We have some very lovely disagreements at times. Uh, however, I think there's a genuine uh, desire to do what's right for each other and for the customer. And I certainly make sure that their family comes first. I never want anybody ever to feel that their family doesn't come first. And when you allow that, you allow people to be able to relax a little bit and build the life that they want in real estate. It isn't about me. It's about some one of my team may be way more competitive and want to do way more volume. And for somebody else, depending on their family situation, maybe it's a little bit less, maybe it's a lot less. And I think it's really important for us to honor that because I think we have a propensity to more is better. More isn't always better for everybody, but the quality of what they do and how they do it. And I think eventually it becomes a little bit more for them. But I'm truly, I go back to my PE days. I'm, if you have a team, they're my first customer. So I feel like I'm 911 for them. It doesn't matter if it's seven in the morning or eight o'clock at night, I will always take their call. Um, and we also have our own thread and we uh, text each other. I would talk, I talk to several of the team several times a day and sometimes it's not real estate related. But being super supportive and I'm not interested, I don't even look at what my volume is or the team's volume. <laughs> Luckily that somebody else keeps track of it. But I, it, it's about the experience again. And if they have the experience, they're going to give the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to go back to that, and you, you kind of segued it here for us. I wanted to go back to this customer experience. You know, I've heard you say this now a number of times as we're having our conversation. So what are some, you know, real tangible kind of thoughts or direction that you could give our audience on how to enhance the customer experience in real estate specifically, right? So are there things that you do, little things that make a big difference that our audience could pick up on from you know, serving the client and, and providing an extraordinary customer experience? Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think I say all the time, the biggest gift you can give your client is your time. And when you go for an interview with a client, I think you would never walk into an interview without knowing a little bit about the company. What are the company's core values? What's their mission statement? What is their focus to give back to the community? So we tend to get excited and think, oh my gosh, I just got a phone call, I'm running out, I need, to, I need to do a CMA. Well, I might do the CMA and leave it in the car, but I will know something about that client before I knock on their door. And whether that's uh, usually for me making a phone call and engaging with that client, because it's difficult to customize your pitch if you don't know who you're meeting. And again, I think it's slowing down that process and... Uh, Take, taking the time to know your your audience. Um, and you're not going to be the right fit for everybody, and that's okay. I just want to be the right fit for enough people. So honestly, I think time and time well spent, and as you all know, my biggest, my, my, my biggest tool is my phone. I have no problems making 20, 30 phone calls a day. I love it. I'll talk on the phone all day long. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of an experience that I once had at a dry cleaners. 
So, you know, I've been to a lot of different dry cleaners in my day. And there was one dry cleaner that I went to, uh, to drop off some suits. I came back a few days later, I pick up the suits, you pay for the suits and usually you just walk out. Well, the gentleman on the other side of the counter proceeded to then grab my suits and follow me out to my car, open my door. And then he handed me one of those little mini bottles of wine that probably cost him, you know, three or four bucks. But I'll tell you what, that experience, I told everybody about this dry cleaner because it was fun. And it's the little things that literally made a huge difference in my experience. And then I became, you know, the walking mouthpiece around town with all of my friends and colleagues saying, hey, if you need a dry cleaner, this, this person's great. You should go check it out, you know. And I think that's so powerful when you can really focus in on that experience and do something that is maybe unexpected and, you know, kind of give that limo ride experience to the customer where you're opening that door, you're rolling out the red carpet. Exactly. And I think, you know, especially with COVID, we didn't have, uh, we had to pivot, right? And for me, pivoting was picking up that phone and making phone calls. It was lonely for everybody. We were isolated. And I think it taught me again, the power of communicating and we all do it differently and there's no right way to do it for me i would prefer to talk to somebody all day long rather than text i think for me i have had miscommunication because of texts Mm -hmm. but if i'm hearing somebody's voice i can hear the emotion and i know where to go but with texting and i'm not saying it's wrong at all but do what feels comfortable and what you're good at Yeah, pick up the phone. That's such an important message that I think so often it's easy to kind of try to hide behind text. It's a really good reminder to to talk to people. And that especially now as there's so much more text and email communications. So I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm seeing these really fantastic leadership qualities in the way that you lead your team the way that you work with clients and the way that, that you live your life and the things that you have done in your life. What has, what in particular maybe has helped shape you into such a great leader where you're so inspired to help others and help to, to lead them? I think clearly I, uh, I mentioned regularly, I'm a, I have become an American citizen a long time ago. I am so grateful to this country for the opportunities I've had. And I sincerely mean that I feel grateful every day that I've had the opportunities I've had. And I think joining Remax and realizing uh, I was talking to JC one day and she said, you should have a team. And I thought, are you kidding me? I just want a bigger desk. I just want, (laughs) I I don't need anything. And um, then I thought, you know what, that would really probably be fun. And as I started putting the team together, I thought, I've had great success in this business. And I think it's wonderful to give back, whether you can give back in so many ways to the community. But what about to other women who may not have had that experience? Because I didn't have that when I joined uh, my first company. And I felt very alone. And I thought, I'm going to lay low in the grass. And when I pick my head up out of the grass. I hope they can't catch me because I didn't have anybody to go to. I didn't feel like there was a resource for me. And I think women sometimes are not as good about sharing. So having the amazing group of women that I have, I learn from them every day. They empower me. Uh, Hopefully I empower them, but we empower each other. And I think it's really important for women to do that. Uh, And I don't think I saw that. And the more I spend time with my team, the more I absolutely love being with them. And we have the most amazing meetings. I'd be the first one to admit I never have a clear agenda, and it's never written down. But we 
we come up with wonderful ideas and we're super supportive and collaborative and they're all brilliant. I'm still here with my phone. <laughs> you know, uh, it's an interesting time right now just in society and in the world, you know, kind of coming out of the pandemic now after 15 or 16 months of, you know, kind of isolation and being confined to Zoom screens and technology and lack of human interaction and contact and all of those things. And so here we are kind of coming out of that. And I think it's interesting because the things that you're talking about are taking us back to the basics of our business, which is the experience of the customer, the phone conversation, the face-to-face -face interaction. And I think that that is a huge advantage for our audience to really pick up on that, you know, coming out of this to, you know, kind of hit that reset button and to go back to some of the basic fundamentals of our business, not to, you know, uh, let go of technology. It'll always be there to supplement and everything, but, you know, going back to, Hey, I want to take you to lunch. I want to get together for coffee. Let's have a conversation and really bringing that back into society and into their business, I think is a really important thing for us to be considering. And, you know, I, I, I think a lot about service as uh, we have discussed service is intangible and a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. They would prefer to give the client uh, a candle or look at the lovely car or look at the house but the reality is the intangible service is what makes the connection emotionally and the commitment for the client to work with you. When you go to visit a doctor, you have to feel that comfort level when you go to your hairdresser. So you, you, you have to have that. Well, you, there, I think there are three elements to being successful, and that's empathy, ego, and drive. You have to have that empathy, and you have to have enough confidence and ego to be able to uh, deliver your communication, and uh, then you have to be very driven. And to me, that's the, the race you're in every day, and you can define that however you want, and there, there are many people who will do things so differently, but I think it's really important to be comfortable with what you're good at and to stick with that. And I, as you all know, am very not techy, and I admire that, and I love it, and I can see what some of my team are doing marketing-wise. And pick what you're good at and stick with it, but don't forget you're still in the service business, and when you are in the service business, you have got to communicate. Yeah. I want to pick up on this word you said, drive, right? Got to have the drive. So question for you is, what keeps you, you know, going at this point in your career, right? 20 years, this incredible team, this great success, right? Like things are good. And I think that that's an exciting place to reach and arrive in one's business. And I think we all strive to get to a certain level, but what keeps you moving forward once you reach a certain level that you once dreamed of maybe reaching earlier in your career? Now you've kind of, you know, come to this pinnacle point. How do you stay focused and motivated and driven to keep pressing on? Uh, very easily, uh, I got sick when our son was, a year after I started in the business. And um, I remember thinking, I hope I see my child play football in college. And, uh, you know, 17 years later, I think every day above ground is a great day. I'm going to love it. I'm motivated. I'm driven. I work out. And it's, it's not a difficult thing to do. And I, every day I'm grateful that America has given me this opportunity. I never lose sight of that gratitude. And um, it was something I spoke to my son about when, uh, when I was sick. I said, I, was, I, I remember I would drop him off. I'd 
at school and every day I'd pick him up and say, what are you grateful for? So living with gratitude is a huge, a huge thing for me and uh, it's very easy to be motivated. Gratitude is a very pow powerful motivator. I love hearing that in, in this conversation. That's, I, I really love that. And especially instilling that in your son at such a young age where now I'm sure he thinks like that as well. So I'm so inspired by your drive and your willingness and your hard work and never giving up and persevering the tenacity I could go on and on with all of the things that you've done and where you've been successful too in the tour bus situation that you just, you made the best of it. You made it work of building the travel agency of coming into real estate. It has all worked out. So I'm curious, what advice would you give to somebody else who is feeling like maybe they can't do their dream or their current dream or what they're trying to do? What advice would you give them to kind of stay the course and be able to achieve that dream? Gosh, I, I think we all have it in us and surround yourself with other people who will encourage you. Because uh, when I was in the Bay Area, I became a court-appointed advocate for children at CASA. And I remember those, we had four children in our life before our beautiful son arrived. And uh, I remember those children being so despondent and they were in group homes and they were very much a part of our lives. Um, and today I'm still friends with two of those young women. Uh, I've helped them buy houses. And the one thing they will say is that we showed them something that they never thought was possible. And just encouraging other people don't, we're in a society where we tend to be self-possessed and we tend to knock each other a little bit. And I think if we can give somebody a leg up. So surround yourself with other people that will encourage you because there are plenty of people out there. And stay away from the negativity and stay focused and stay encouraged because I saw dramatic difference in these children who had somebody to believe in them. That's all they wanted. They had been given up on by their parents or things were sideways for them. But just knowing that somebody would show them that they could ride a bicycle, that they could have a nice pair of shoes, that they could have an experience that they'd never had before. It's that kind of, it's a little bit of kindness and don't give up on yourself ever. And for me, that's working out every day, you know, yeah. starting my day off. You know, um, Brian Buffini did a, um, like an online podcast or zoom or something like that. And he did his, you know, Brian Buffini bold predictions for the market and you know, what's to come. And just kind of curious to get your perspective. I mean, 20 years in the business, you've got this great team. You're very much in the trenches, serving clients at the highest level, doing, you know, great, great deal of business. And so what do you see trending in the industry right now? Or where do you think things are going? What's your bold prediction for the future of real estate? Well, as long as I'm in the service business, I, I uh, there's room for us. And technology is definitely changing uh, our whole world, for sure. Um, I think we're going to see more and more people, you know, using all the benefits of technology. And I, I think like every um, evolution and revolution as companies grow and as our business grows, we will also see a fallout of people who um, are casual. I think you have to be, again, I, I, I think the winners are going to be the ones with the stick-to-itiveness who will use the technology and, and, uh, and also use their, their level of service that they can give their clients. I'm not too sure whether we will keep uh, seeing the influx in Sacramento that we're 
that's started. It appears like we're now on the map and there's no end in sight. I don't know if I have a lot of other big predictions for you. I love that, though. You're talking about, you know, your belief in the value of what we do as realtors, right? There is something there. And regardless of what technology might say or some, you know, big corporate entity like uh, companies that shall go unnamed. But, you know, these companies that come in and try to devalue what we do as realtors. And I think what you're talking about is, hey, no, there's value in what I do. The human to human interaction, the service level commitment that you have for your clients, the experience that you give someone, the anticipation of one's needs during a transaction, the negotiation that takes place. I got to tell you, the negotiation piece alone is huge. Um, I recently bought a new vehicle and, you know, I had to do it all by my lonesome and I'm a terrible negotiator, right? But I can negotiate great for somebody else, yes. you know? And so um, I see that, you know, as an agent as well, like, you know, we trying to buy a house by yourself and negotiate for yourself is, is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. And that's where we come in and that's where we can advocate for our clients and, you know, be that voice for that individual. Exactly. And I think uh, one of the things that's really important is uh, your ability to be able to, as you said, to navigate and, and negotiate along the way. And one of the things that I've seen in the business, if you look at your phone and look at your emails every day, there's probably 40 people out there every day that want to tell you how to run your business. Mm. And I think that's very dangerous because it can make you feel insecure and less than. Mm. And if I have one more person telling me that they can give, get me listings in my zip code, <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm going to hit them over the head with a yeah. frying pan. So y- you have to get rid of the noise. And you have to focus on what you have to offer because you will be undermined very easily if you start answering all these calls. And I don't like to be rude, but if honestly, at some point you have to say, no, thank you. And they, you will be intimidated into trying something for $100 or for free. And then all, six months later, it's on your credit card. Focus on yourself and your strengths and work on those. And don't, don't forget the essence of what our business is. Very well said. So we have covered a lot of ground today and really gained insight into you. This has been so much fun. Um, Wonder if you have any final thoughts that you want to leave with our listeners here today. Love what you do. Live every day with gratitude and go rock it. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Bernadette. It's been a privilege and uh, I've really enjoyed our time. And I hope the uh, listeners here within Gold Nation have enjoyed this month's episode of the Juggernaut Podcast. Bernadette, thank you so much. Oh, thank you both. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks. Great. All right, everyone. We'll see you next month on the Juggernaut Podcast. Take care. Thank you for joining us and listening to the Juggernaut Podcast. Our vision is truly to inspire our listeners to become an unstoppable force, not only in business, but also in life. To develop that juggernaut mindset that will embrace conflict, overcome adversity, and influence positive impact in the communities we live, work, and serve. It is time to awaken the juggernaut in us all. We look forward to bringing you another inspiring episode next month on the third Wednesday right here on the Juggernaut Podcast. Until then, take care and continue to be unstoppable.